Good morning. It's also one way to get all of your attention. Yes, very good, very good. Hey, uh, last week we launched a new conversation called the expectation gap. The expectation gap, that's not necessarily a word or a phrase we use a lot. We just use the word disappointment to actually describe what is ultimately an expectation gap. The gap between our expectation and our experience, whenever our experience comes in lower than our expectation, that gap we just call disappointment. And and I'm going to get into that a little bit more today. Um, But those of you that were here last week, I was really encouraged. Uh, Several of you pinged me during the week to say, hey, Mark, um, I tried some some of the lessons that you taught last week and, uh, and they work. I was like, well, first of all, good job that you actually tried, you know, put into practice what, what, what you learned. There's a, there's a cliche, and most of you know that, that I think most cliches are actually not true. Uh, cliche, knowledge is power. Not true. Applied knowledge, providing the knowledge is the correct knowledge too, by the way, is where the power lies. And I love it. I, you know, some of you guys are just, you, know, you said we tried this in our, in our, in our uh, marriage this week and, and at work. We tried this with our kids this week and at work. I just want to clarify something just to make sure that we narrow the expectation gap. When you go from here and try something that I teach and it works, say, gosh, I love that Mark's teaching. On the few occasions that it doesn't work, What you need to do is say to yourself, oh, I must be doing it wrong. <laughs> All right? It's not on me. Um, I also want to let you know this. Uh, what God is teaching us and what God's saying to us is actually uh, rippling far beyond our four walls, not just because of us going out and being the church 24-7. Um, but even things like God using technology. We've got our, our messages on podcast every single week. You can listen to them on our website. If you don't know what a podcast is, as long as you know what a computer is and a website, you can just sit in front of a computer and listen to uh, messages, or you can go onto our podcast and take them with you. But even just this week, I got, we got three uh, people, uh, someone in Melbourne listening to our podcast just from last week, saying you know they really benefited. Uh, someone from, from L.A., uh, pinged us, hey, really benefited. Uh, and even a local church leader uh, listened to it and said, I've got some great sermon material now that I can steal. <laughs> it's okay. Pablo Picasso said, good artists copy, great artists steal. So, um, today, though, we talked last week, just to catch you up if you weren't here, about how to respond when other people don't meet our expectations. And that happens. It's happened before to you. It'll happen again to you, that other people won't meet your expectations. So I encourage you to listen to that if you didn't uh, already. Today I want to talk on a... I mean, that's a sensitive enough topic because some of us carry some scars around with us from people who have let us down and disappointed us. But I want to talk about a topic that's actually probably even more sensitive for some of us. And uh, I said to the team, our team members when we gathered to pray this morning that I've actually been sweating on this message because is it, 
the, the gravity of this topic is not lost on me, and it won't be lost on you in a moment when you find out what I'm going to teach on. Um, I want to talk today about how to respond when God doesn't meet our expectations. Well, let me just call it out, okay? How, how to respond when, when God disappoints us. And, uh, and I know some of you, this is a big deal. And I want to clarify up front so that you don't have mismatched expectations for the next 25 minutes. I will not be able to answer all of your questions this morning as to why God has and likely in the future again disappointed you. But I will endeavor to bring some fresh perspective and some level of context as to how we can better navigate when God doesn't meet our expectations. So are you ready? Okay, now encourage you to open your smart device or your Bible and, and follow along. We're going to have it on the screens, particularly for first-time guests, uh, because we're talking about some stories, historically recorded, real-life events that happened around uh, Jesus. But the, 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 there are a trilogy of stories that involve three siblings. Uh, we talked about two of them last week. I want to introduce the brother into the story this week. John recorded this. A man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. Mary and Martha, we talked about them last week. This is the same Mary who massaged the Lord's feet with aromatic oils and then wiped them with her hair. It was her brother Lazarus who was sick. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Master, the one you love so very much is sick. And when Jesus got the message, he said, this sickness is not fatal. It will become an occasion to show God's glory by glorifying God's son. Now, John is a very, very good writer. He didn't just kind of record history as it happens. In the, even in this, just this little, little kind of introduction to this story, he includes some classic literary devices so that we, the reader, the audience, will actually get drawn into the story that actually will build a level of suspense and drama and possibly even expectation into the story. Just this little paragraph alone. For example, John starts off by giving us some idea of who the main subject of the story is. It's a guy named Lazarus. Well, who's Lazarus? Well, first of all, he's from Bethany. Uh-huh. It's the town of Mary and her sister Martha. Makes sense because he's their brother. So they're all born in the same town. Not uncommon in those days. This is the same Mary. So, so now he builds. It's, it's not just any Mary. You know, like everyone's name, Mary back then. It's like, you know, Jesus' mum was Mary. This is a different Mary. Mary, Mary, Mary. This is the same Mary who massaged the Lord's feet with aromatic oils. Now, by the way, when he wrote this, or sorry, not when he wrote it, when we read this, this is in chapter 11. We don't know that she's done that yet because John doesn't record that until chapter 12. So, but, he, but she's already done it by the time John wrote this. You with me? So the audience of that day 
Would oh that Mary? You know they didn't have to wait till he wrote chapter twelve because this became folkloric around around the towns. Did you hear about that lady Mary? She broke a year's worth of perfume and 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 wasted that on Jesus' feet. Well, we might teach about that next week. I'm not sure. Uh, so so she was a bit of a rock star. So oh the, the oh that Mary. Whoa yeah now I know who you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Lazarus was sick. So the sisters sent word to Jesus. Master, the one you love very much is sick. Now, here's an interesting thing. The one you love. That's not very helpful because Jesus loves everyone. <laughs> they didn't even name Lazarus. But the reason that John wrote it that way is likely because he, he's trying to highlight that that, that despite the fact that Jesus loves everyone, there's this extra special relationship, this intimacy that Lazarus, they didn't even have to name him to Jesus to, 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 to presume that Jesus would know who they're talking about. So you're like, oh man, he must, Jesus must really, really love him. Hmm. And he's sick. Well, that's probably going to break Jesus' heart. Thankfully though, Like any good suspense story that's aimed for Hollywood, it, it, it kind of starts to, you know, as the, the, the drama builds and the suspense builds, it, 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 eventually the writer will turn the corner and, and, and bring a resolution. And Jesus said the sickness isn't fatal. It'll become an occasion to show God's glory by glorifying God's son. Wow. That sounds good. I wonder how. I wonder how this is going to happen. I'm going to stay tuned. Commercial break. You ain't going anywhere. You're going to come back. Well, it should, therefore, having read all of this and understanding who Lazarus is and the special relationship he has with Jesus and seeing what Jesus just said, that the sickness isn't fatal, it shouldn't surprise you to know, that's at the end of verse 4, that in verse 6, more or less the next thing that John wrote, this is what John said. John said, or wrote, so when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he got up and set out to Bethany, taking the 12 with him. And when he came to the place where Lazarus was lying, he placed his hands on him and Lazarus was healed. Is that a surprise to anyone that that's what happened next, given that we know how special their relationship was and, 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 and that Jesus had declared that he wasn't going to die and you know, that God's glory was going to be demonstrated and, and now Jesus went straight there and laid hands on him and he was healed, so therefore God's glory was demonstrated. Is that a surprise to anyone? Like, of course that's how the story would go, right? This isn't really in the Bible. I wrote this bit. This, this, this bit here, all the stuff you just read. I wrote that. It's not John. Mark John. Not, that's not what actually happened. That's fake Bible. <clears throat> Let's go to real Bible. So when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. What the? That don't make sense. That, that, that's not how that... What? What? The, the one you love, this intimate relationship that you have with, with Lazarus, and your response is to do nothing for two more days. And, and, and by the way, this is Mary and Martha. 
you know, Mary and Martha, Martha had Jesus in, their, in her home, fed him a nice meal. And, uh, and, and this is how you respond to just a simple little request. Thanks very much, Jesus, for nothing. And, and by the way, we might think, oh, it's not a big deal, you know. But this sentence starts with the word so, and not the word but. If it, if it started with, this sentence started, started with the word but, but when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days because he, he had some prior commitments that he had to actually fulfill because Jesus is a man of his word. But when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days because his donkey had just died and he hadn't yet upgraded to a new donkey. And so, but, you know, he was still going to go, but... Just not for two more days. No, this word so implies that Jesus chose to stay where he was two more days. Do you think right now that Martha and Mary might have something of an expectation gap? They went to Jesus because they knew he healed. He's got a pretty long CV at this point in history of healing people. So, hey, makes sense when your brother's sick and, you're, and he's the one that Jesus loved. If Jesus went around healing strangers, how much more would he heal our brother Lazarus? Two more days. Jesus loved Martha and his sister Lazarus, but oddly, when he heard that, Jesus, that Lazarus was sick, he stayed on where he was for two more days. After the two days, he said to his disciples, Let's go back to Judea. And they said, Rabbi, you can't do that. The Jews are out to kill you and you're going back? Jesus replied, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in daylight doesn't stumble because there's plenty of light from the sun. Walking at night, he might very well stumble because he can't see where he's going. It was a metaphor. He said these things and then announced, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. I'm going to wake him up. The disciples said, a master, if he's going to sleep, he'll get a good rest and wake up feeling fine. This is one of the many examples that remind us that Jesus called a bunch of bozos to be his closest 12 and used them to turn the world upside down. Oh, he's asleep, he'll wake up. Jesus, a lot of patience was talking about death while his disciples thought he was talking about taking a nap. And then Jesus became explicit. Lazarus died. And I'm glad for your sakes that I wasn't there. Which is kind of a weird thing to say because it's the very thing that Martha and Mary had asked him to be there. And now he's saying, it's a good thing I wasn't. This expectation gap just gets, keeps getting wider and wider and wider as this story goes on. And we're talking about Jesus right now. You're about to be given new grounds for believing. Ooh. Ooh. Ooh now I'm going to keep watching. Don't change the channel. Now let's go to him. That's when Thomas, the one called the twin, said to his companions, Come along. We might as well die, well die with him. Thomas gets a lot of stick, right? Throughout history, doubting Thomas. He, I love Thomas. 
Because Thomas is out there, man. He says what other people are too frightened to say. He's politically incorrect. I love that. Well, if Jesus is going to die, let's all die with him. Which, by the way, is a great loyalty to, to Jesus. And unfortunately, in our world today, that's happening. When Jesus finally got there, he found Lazarus already four days dead. Why did John say four days? What's the significance of that? Well, I mean, it was factual, but, but what was with the four days? Well, let me explain. The Jewish custom of the day was that after someone physically died, their spirit would remain with them because we're, we're not flesh and blood. We're spirit sent to earth for a temporary time. And when our body dies, our spirit lives on forever. If we're following Jesus, our spirit lives on forever in relationship with him. There's also an alternative, and I'll talk about that later. But the Jewish believed that after the third day, that the spirit would leave the body. And throughout history, Jewish uh, historians had recorded on various occasions where within the three-day period, some people had been raised back to life. Okay, there's, there's, there's historical accounts of people within that three-day period. And look, when that happened, it was pretty cool. But, but it wasn't completely unexpected because the spirit was still with the body and the spirit could breathe life back into the body and the body, the spirit never died, the body comes, comes back to life. But all of the people in that place in the world in that point in history knew that on the fourth day, you weren't just dead, you were dead, dead because your spirit had left your body. Now, before I push on with this story, I'm going to say something that you possibly, I don't want to put thoughts in your mind or words in your mouth, but possibly never thought you'd any hear, any, ever hear any preacher say publicly. <clears throat> Following Jesus can be a very disappointing experience sometime. If you're not sure if I just said that, you can look on the screens because we wrote it up there in case you missed it. They pay you to say stuff like that? Well, see, yes. Jesus came as the, the, the new king 2,000 years ago. Kings are born in palaces, right? At least that's what we expect. Not Jesus, barn. Jesus did all these really cool things. One time he was teaching, there's about 15,000, maybe more people gathered around. He was teaching them. It came lunchtime. These 15,000 plus people were kind of hungry. His 12 disciples said to him, hey, we better send them home so they can go and get lunch. Jesus said, no, no, no need to send them home. There's a little kid here. He's got a little lunchbox. He was the only kid, good on you, mate, out of 15,000 people who came prepared with some lunch. Good on you. Tell your mum she's awesome. Uh, but uh, listen, kid, just give me the lunch. What? Just give, c- 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 come on, give me the lunch. Gives him the lunch. 
some fish, little bit of bread, boom. End of lunch, all 15,000 plus people fed and leftovers. Well, that's awesome. Recorded in history. How that happened? We don't know. It's a miracle. Fast forward several months, same situation. People needing to be fed, and they started yelling to Jesus, Hey, Jesus, Jesus, remember that fishes and loaves feeding the 15,000 plus people? Like little kids, do it again, do it again, do it again. That's the expectation of the crowd. You know what Jesus said? No, no, I ain't here for your entertainment, mate. I'm the bread of life. Whoever believes in me will never die. What? What's disappointing? The people of that day expected that Jesus was going to come. The Messiah was going to come and was actually going to overturn the Roman Empire who had invaded their land, taken over as the government, that that, that God was going to send his son and was going to come in as a political ruler, flush out the, the Romans and establish God's political system. That's what the king of the Jews was meant to do. That was the expectation. What What happened? Died on a cross, powerless between two thieves. Well, that was disappointing. Big letdown. And that's just three examples. I had a long, long list, but I think you get the point. Jesus doesn't march to the beat of our drum. He's not made in our image. He has different priorities to us sometimes. And and we might come to him and foist our expectations on him. But you know what? He doesn't always meet our expectations. And that's why I say with confidence, following Jesus can be a disappointing experience sometimes. You ever noticed or had had the experience that the clothes you tried on in the store and bought don't look nearly as good when you get home. Why is that? Well, I know you're all pretty smart. Some of you know this, but if you didn't already know this, it's one word. The word is lighting. Lighting. Do you know there are university studies? And by the way, if you don't believe me, go to lighting.com and you can read them for yourselves. University studies that are conducted on a regular basis about the best ways to light retail stores to make you and I more likely to purchase the items we try on. They have to do with contrast of light and shade. They have to do with the way things reflect, the type of lighting, the type of mood response that various uh, types of lighting evokes that we need to be made to feel better about ourselves and, and how to do that in lighting. And so we, we try on this thing and Ooh, you know, and you, and you, and you sashay out to, to your shopping partner. What do you think? What do you think? Oh, it looks great. You should buy it. So you buy it and you get home and you put it on. Disappointing. And I say that to say that this might seem like an outrageous thing to say, but we're never going to intentionally teach you and be the sort of church that ignores reality that lights things in a way that actually isn't real we are instead going to shine the light on god's word 
what does he say about him? We are going to teach about the light of the world, who is Jesus. And then we need to position ourselves to be the reflectors of his light, to be the reflectors of his glory. We're always going to talk about hope, and I'm going to talk about that this morning. We're always going to lift up God's word, God's promises as being the ideal, and we're going to talk about how this stuff actually works when we get it out of the store. Bethany was near Jerusalem, only a couple of miles away, and many of the Jews were visiting Martha and Mary, sympathizing with them over their brother. Like, you know, the beginning of the kind of funeral gathering, we understand that. Martha heard Jesus was coming and went out to meet him. Mary remained in the house. Martha said, Master, if you'd been here. Like, can you picture this? This is... She's got her hands on her hips. You know, she's got her apron on because she's a, she's a cooker. We talked about that last week. Gets right up in Jesus' grill. If you'd been here. My brother wouldn't have died. Expectation and experience. The expectation gap. Even now I know that whatever you ask for, he'll give to you or... Just, well, it's a pretty sudden shift of gears. And Jesus said, listen, your brother will be raised up. Martha replied, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know that he will be raised up in the resurrection at, at the end of time. Now, again, John, master writer. In this short passage, there are three really, really, really important things that we need to understand. Martha with her apron on and her hands on her hip, getting up in Jesus' grill, saying, Master, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Have you ever shaken your fist at God when he didn't meet your expectations? Some of you are too polite. Trust me, God's got the biggest big boy pants on the universe has ever seen. Have you ever shaken your fist at him? God, you know, if you hadn't caused me to lose this job, we wouldn't have lost our house. God, if you'd... Helped us with our, our marriage. My spouse would be sitting next to me here this morning. God, if you hadn't let my kids drift off with those people, they'd still be following you today. Have you ever, you know, in your own, maybe your own situation, shaking your fist at God? Yeah. I don't think God's got a problem with that. You know, Mary did it with Jesus and he didn't actually tell her off. How dare you? He's just like, you know, he's got big boy pants on. The problem isn't shaking our fist at God in some form of a reaction to disappointment. The problem is when we just stay shaking our fist at God. And I know people, and maybe you do too, who were disappointed with God, who started shaking their fist at Him, and today are stuck shaking their fist at Him, tethered to that disappointment. So Martha's given Jesus a fair serve. Shaking her fist at him. But she didn't stay there. She didn't get stuck. Well, 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 what do you got to say about that, Jesus? Well, well, come on, give us an explanation. You know, by the way, God doesn't owe us an explanation for anything because he's God. To her credit, she didn't ask for it and he didn't volunteer one either, by the way. But to her credit, she didn't stay shaking her fist at Jesus. There's a lesson for us in that. 
In fact, by the end of this short exchange, she'd, she'd fast-forwarded her expectations to way into the future, into eternity, that Lazarus will experience eternal life. And that's natural. When our loved ones actually physically die, we mourn for them because we love them. But if we know that they've been following Jesus, if we know that they have a relationship with Jesus, we don't have to mourn forever. We don't have to shake our fist at God forever because we have a promise that we'll live with Jesus forever. But that's not always enough today. When you're the one experiencing the disappointment, don't stay shaking your fist at God about the past because you can't change it. Don't just focus on the future, even though don't lose sight of the future. But most of the future, we can't control it. But here's another thing. In the present... Martha said, even now, I know that whatever you ask God, he'll give you. Lazarus was dead, dead. And even now, Martha had the faith that Jesus could still do something. After four days, never been done before. Three footy seasons ago, Stewie got some tickets to go and see Carlton v. Fremantle. Now, Carl, uh, Stewie, for reasons unknown to me, is a Carlton fan, and uh, I'm a Dockers fan. But actually, three seasons ago, there was reasons that Stewie wouldn't have understood why I was a Dockers fan, and by the way, some weeks nor did I. And uh, we went to the footy, Baden was, was there as well, Subiaco Oval, Friday night, and uh, I um, went there on my little Vesper and uh, whatever, parked illegally somewhere, and, um, and uh, got to three-quarter time. And Carlton were absolutely handing it to Fremantle, giving them an absolute unapologetic shellacking. Three-quarter time, and I'm like, boys, I'm out. I, this is painful. I can't bear to watch this any longer. Stewie goes, no, nah, man, stay, stay. They might come back. I'm like, <laughs> it's Fremantle. They ain't coming back. So off I, off I chuff, and I go home. And, you know, Fremantle apparently kicked a little bit, and... But they lost. And it's like, I didn't expect anything different. Last week, and again last night, last week, Frio v. Carlton. Frio down at three-quarter time. Frio even down with less than three minutes to play. And I didn't tap out. I stayed. And last week, let's not talk about last night. Last week, I was rewarded. Because three years later, Fremantle had changed. Three seasons later, Fremantle were a very different team to three seasons ago. Three seasons ago, they ain't coming back. They didn't come back. There was no expectation gap. I knew they wouldn't, and they didn't. <laughs> no worries. Last week, I expected they would, and they did. And I got to experience that joy last week of having Fremantle meet my expectations. No gap. One of the worst things we can do is fast forward from the past to the future and while we're actually presenting something to God that we need him to do in our lives, in our circumstances, in our situations. 
The lesson we can take from Martha is don't leave the game before full time. This isn't the Fremantle Dockers or Carlton. This is God. Great thing we know about God is that he doesn't ever change. The great thing that we have when we come to talking about faith is we aren't putting our faith in a something. We're putting our faith in a someone. And let's last thing, find out what Jesus said in response to Martha talking about the past, even though she knew she couldn't change it. She shook her fist at God and moved on. She didn't tap out even now. I believe God will do whatever you ask of him and then had a vision for the future. And Jesus said, you don't have to wait for the end. I am right now, resurrection and life. The one who believes in me, even though he or she dies, will live. And everyone who lives believing in me doesn't ultimately die at all. Do you believe this? Yes, master. Listen to what she says. She's talking, she understands she's believing in a someone, not just a something. All along I've believed that you are the Messiah, the son of God who comes into the world. I don't actually want to believe in a God that I can fully understand. Because it would be to crop God down to my finite, limited perspective and thinking. I want to believe in a God that, that puzzles me sometimes. And yeah, some of that puzzle is going to feel like disappointment. You know what? Some of that puzzle is going to feel like, man, I did not expect that. That blew my doors off. God is able to do immeasurably more than we can even ask for or imagine. Don't ever leave the game at three-quarter time when it comes to God. And, and don't ever place our faith in a something because the some things that we place our faith in won't always come true. When we blow the candles out and make the wish, those wishes don't always come true. And by the way, God doesn't always promise that they will. But we put our faith in as someone who never changes. Who, as we sung earlier from a, a promise and a, and, a, and a lesson that Paul wrote to the Romans, God turns all things together for good. Doesn't mean we don't have bad, but God turns all things together for good. And this promise that Jesus made right back at the beginning when Martha asked him to come to visit Lazarus and he said, yeah, don't worry, God's going to be glorified. I'm not going to tell you how that story ends. I want you to go from here with your little Bible, your little smartphone, and read it for yourself. Um, And you'll be glad Martha didn't leave the field at three-quarter time. You know, one more thing I want to do as we wrap up today is give you the opportunity for those of you that you've never actually placed your faith in Jesus. You've never actually made him your Lord. We want to give you the opportunity to make that decision now. You might have grown up in a church. You might have never been in a church before. It's not the question we're asking. We're not talking about membership here. We're not talking about tradition. We're not talking about what your parents believed or didn't believe. I want want to ask you right now, have you personally ever placed your faith in Jesus? Have you ever asked him to be the Lord of your life, to follow him, hand your life over, trust him with everything? If you haven't, in a moment, I want you to say yes, you want to do that. 
And the way that's going to happen, just put your hand up. In a moment, just put your hand up. You're saying, God, that's me. I want to actually trust you, give my life to you, follow you, place my faith in you. When I see your hand, you can put it down. Then we're going to pray. We don't want to miss anybody. It's the most important decision you will ever, ever make. Jesus asks this question of everyone. Who do you say I am? And uh, when I was 21, I, I said, yeah, you're the son of God. Who do you say he is? If you think he's the son of God and you haven't actually chosen to follow him, make that choice now. Say, yeah, I want to follow you. Just put your hand up. When I see your hand, you can put it down. Then we're going to pray. I wouldn't miss anybody. Fantastic. Who else? Let's pray. I want you to say these words after me. And by the way, someone has just passed... From death to life by making that decision. They haven't, God didn't come to make bad people good. He chose to give dead people life. New creation resurrected. So let's pray with that person. Understanding what just happened there. Right? This isn't a golf prayer. You ready? Dear Jesus. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for giving me a fresh start. Thank you that I'm a new creation. And from this day forward, I place my faith in you. I commit to follow you for the rest of my days until I'm 98 and change in Jesus' name. Amen. How about we celebrate with that person today, guys?